Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. And um, I have just really gotten to this place where because of everything that's been going on, whether it's like from the pandemic and then, you know, the ripple effects from that and, and things going the way that they were going at work and, and um, just in addition to that, just not only the loss of, of, of business, but the loss of, you know, some relationships or at least the loss of contact that I had been in, in relationship with a lot of people. And, and it just really brought me to a point where I was just exhausted. I would venture to even say that I was pretty burned out. Uh, at the time, I really felt like I didn't have uh, anything to give, per se. And um, so, you know, Ryan's been so gracious enough to be like, okay, well, you know what? Go ahead and uh, take the time you, you need. First, he asked me, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and I said, no, no, if, if I was, I mean, I'm pretty straight with you, I tell you. Um, but no, I'm not. But I just really got to this point where I was just really tired and really burnt out. And I know I'm not the only one here uh, that has felt that. We all, as a result of what's happened um, via the pandemic, and, and um, even if it hasn't been related to the pandemic, the ripple effects of that, we've all, as a community, both individually and corporately, we've all been through so much. And between the, 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 the rule changes, between uh, the changes that are going on in our job, between the changes of what's going on in our our, our, our family dynamics, uh, our social dynamics, you know, having certain relationships, then the next day not having those relationships anymore. And, and for some, we've known people, but they have died. Um, we have lost them. And, and so we've, I know I'm not the only one that has just come to a point where it's like, man, you know what? I'm just tired. And then when faced with the prospect of rebuilding again what we've lost, the, it seems so daunting that, I don't know about for you, but for me, I've just been going through, even struggling to this day, like, like what's, what's the point, right? Like, why? Things are, in my mind, not gonna change. What does it, why does it look like that I should put in the effort when it seems like things are hopeless and things are not gonna change? What's been lost has been lost. And we're in the midst of, of just dealing with the prospect of not only what we've lost, but what we need to do to build in order for us to, in our minds, return back to that sense of normal. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verses 35 and 37, he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So then here's the paradox. So how then 
do we as Christ followers that are in the midst of dealing with our own losses, whether it be from work, whether it be from our family, dealing with our own grief, the pain resulting from that, how do we as Christ followers overcome our, exha our exhaustion and, 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 you, and be used by God to point others to Christ while we're dealing with our own exhaustion, our own pain, our own grief, our own loss. You know, we start this Lent season with, uh, with, with the triumphal entry. That is the first day of the week of, of, um, of the Passion Week, as they call it. And so, interestingly enough, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 21 and read verses 1 to 11. Um, but before we do that, I feel it's interesting enough that usually when we read this part of, of Scripture, I mean, we just kind of see it at that surface level. Everybody's joyous. Everybody's, you know, happy. Everybody's, you know, uh, looking forward and seeing Jesus coming in. But, you know, as we look at this, there's a lot of things that are going on under the surface. And we want to kind of take a look at that. It'll be interesting to see some of the parallels of what's going on there to what's going on here for us right now. So if we look at Matthew chapter 21. Reading verses 1 to 11. It begins by saying, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Now, quick aside on this. Interesting enough, in our world, that would be considered a, I don't know, theft. <laughs> but the good thing about what's happening there is, like, during this time, Roman officials, people who were in authority, were able to commandeer the things of others. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like when we see like some of these cop shows and, and a random cop or the, the protagonist like just stops the car and says, hey, I need your car. And they just go and they go and take it. So it's some, I would say it's, it's something similar to that if we want to picture it. But at the same time, the cool thing about this as well is kings also had the authority to do this. So here we see Jesus exercise his kingly authority. So let's move on. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Another quick aside, so that's based on the prophecies from Isaiah and Zechariah, Isaiah 62, 11, Zechariah 9, verses 9. So they actually prophesied that this would happen, this being the king would be riding on a colt which would be Jesus, in which he's fulfilling his prophecy. So verse 6 goes and it says, The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt that he sat on. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! For the son of David, in other versions, it's saying Hosanna. Hosanna meaning it was an exclamation of praise, which was saying, hey, save, save us now. Save us now. 
Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, for those that have been Christ followers for any number of years, and even if you haven't been a Christ follower for that long, we're very familiar with the story. We're all familiar with what happens during, uh, during Palm Sunday, as we call it. We bring out the palms, we bring out the cloaks, and so this originates, from the, this originates from what's going on here. And so if we look at it in a bubble, it's a very festive occasion, right? It's like, it's, it's very upbeat, it's very open, it's, it, it excites us, it's, it's something that's great to, to see. However, if we look deeper at what's going on around the time of this happening, Understand the nation of Israel is under brutal oppression from the Roman from the Roman Empire. I want to read for you a uh, I want to read for you a quote, and this I got this reference from uh, the website that the world may know uh, by with uh, Ray Vanderlyn, and this just explains a little bit of what's going on during this time from a societal perspective. Since Jewish people of Jesus' day had a passionate desire for freedom from the domination of the pagan Romans and the oppressive Herod dynasty that had ruled them for many years. The country was in turmoil. Each faction, when we're talking factions, Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, Essenes, all had their uh, thoughts on how they could either coexist or not coexist with the oppressive um, regime of the Roman Empire. It said, longing in a different way for the freedom that they have desired. To this climate of confusion, hatred, and division, many so-called messiahs came, each preaching his own brand of salvation. Jesus presented his unique message of redemption. Some followed his lead, but many did not. During the feast days, especially Passover, because this was all during the time of Passover, tensions reached at a fever pitch, and the Romans increased their military presence to prevent open revolt. This climate existed, the climate existed, however, for the revolution to begin. So picture this a little bit, and think about this and what's going on as a backdrop to what's happening. You have the people of Israel overcoming a brutal, oppressive regime. We're talking about oppression from a financial standpoint, from heavy taxation. If people couldn't pay their taxes, literally the husband would be beaten in front of their own family. If it got to a point, they were all taken away and either put in prison or killed. We're talking about from a spiritual perspective, spiritual oppression. When it came to offering sacrifices in the temple, the Romans, uh, insisted that they would offer a sacrifice to the emperor at that day, which was an absolute no-no. You talk about physical oppression, again, going to the, 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 the beatings, the crucifixions, and just think about all these things as a, as a result of that, the Jewish people were yearning for salvation. They were yearning for someone. They were yearning for someone to take them out of this brutal regime brutal regime. And in the midst of that, here comes Jesus with his message. And at the time, while well, people didn't have a fully understanding of why he came, at this particular point, they saw Jesus as their hope. Mm -hmm. 
You know, as I look around all of us, I don't know everybody's story, but I'll go as far as to know that these last couple of years have been absolutely brutal for us, not just individually, but corporately. And the people I've talked to, a lot of us have been dealing with our health, and, with our health, and as a result of that, there's loss there, there's grief, there's pain. A lot of us have had relationships or people that we were really, really cool with. And then all of a sudden, they just drop us. We get ghosted. And we're left holding the bag thinking, what did we do, why? Why is this happening? Some of us have lost our jobs and we're just stressing out over income. And while we may or may not have found something, still we're worried about how we're gonna put food on the table. Hmm. I talked to a member of, of our community just yesterday, and I didn't know this, and I won't mention any names, but for those that, when I tell the story, you'll know. I just learned that as foster parents, investing three years of their lives in their kids thinking that they would have them long term. They lost their kids. And they're dealing and grieving and holding the loss of the emotional investment and the worrying about their kids going back to an environment that's abusive for them. We're all carrying grief. These are just a couple stories, but all of us were carrying grief carrying loss, we're carrying pain, we're carrying exhaustion. Can I tell you something? Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus, or you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I, can I share something with you? Jesus loves you like none other. Jesus literally gave his life for you. He wants to have a relationship with us so badly that he gave everything of himself, and then the last thing he gave was he gave his life so that we could have a relationship with him. So what does that look like for us then to walk in that relationship? Simple as just acknowledging that, that even where we are, even in the midst of our exhaustion, our loss, our grief, our pain, our, our, our disappointment, our frustration, even in the midst of that, it's us saying yes to God and saying, hey God, you know what? I don't have it all together. This is the mess I'm in. I, I can't get myself to look any better, or to be any better, but this is the mess that I'm in. Please, God, come and save me. Hmm. That's all it takes. By the way, I won't get offended if any of you all say amen. Really, I, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't bother me. You know? So if you feel free to do it, I'm not going to accuse you of being a Baptist or anything like that. You know? It's all good with me. Amen. <laughs> but I know you're tracking with me, but understand that. 
Jesus wants to have a relationship with us because even in the midst of our mess, he is our hope. So then, what do we do with this? Maybe we've been a Christ follower for a long time now, and, and, and we know that we can focus on Jesus, that he brings us hope. So what then do we do about this? So when I lived in Tampa, even to this point, uh, I connected with a friend of mine, and a friend of mine, he runs a nonprofit organization. And the nonprofit organization is called uh, um, Current, <clears throat> Current of Tampa Bay. And so one of the things that he does, as a matter of fact, I'm kind of wearing the t-shirt right now. <laughs> what he does is that through different ministries, which are these three icons right here, he brings hope to community, to communities, in this case through laundry, doing people's laundry. Hmm. He'll go to a laundromat, in the community, he'll take care of all expenses, everything. All you have to do is just come and just bring your, you know, bring your laundry, and he'll take care of that. And, and for for us, it's a way to impart dignity. It's a way to impart hope because everybody loves to be in clean clothes. So he was doing some projects here on on the West Coast, and this is when we had first moved here about seven seven years ago, and um, was doing some projects in the Las Vegas area. And so myself, my wife, my daughter, Cecilia, Anna. Uh, we would drive over to uh, Las Vegas and we would work with local churches there to coordinate essentially the, the logistics on how things would work in these laundromats. And so after a while, we started working with the same churches. As we're working with the same churches, you know, they were familiar with what to do. And so less and less, I kind of felt like I really wasn't needed there because, you know, it seemed like everything was happening the way it was supposed to happen. So as, um, as I got there during a time where everything was going on and you know, things were running like clockwork, I mean, I would help where I needed, but for the most part, you know, just kind of like overseeing things, I felt like I was twiddling my thumbs. I talked to, I talked to Jason, that's his name. Uh, I talked to Jason, I said, hey, you know what, Jason? Uh, I really don't feel like I need to be here, here anymore because it looks like things are running the way they're supposed to be running. And, he looked at me and he says, nah, you know what, man, I, I need you here, man. You know what, I just, I just want you to show up. I just want you to show up. And I say that, and I think that that's always stuck with me because as we are dealing with the exhaustion and the loss and the things that we're dealing with, what does it look like as far as that next step? I mean, we know that we're, as Christ followers, supposed to live that victorious life. We know that God wants to use us to point others to him and bring others into relationship with him, not just individually, um, but corporately as well. Um, but at the same time, again, we're dealing with the exhaustion and the loss of everything that's gone on recently. So what is our next step? And if you don't remember anything that we're about to tell you or that we've talked about uh, these last... 20 or so minutes. If you don't remember anything, I wish you to remember this. Just show up. Amen. <laughs> Just show up. 
when I say that, understand we're not asking you to be fake. We're not asking you to come into a sanctuary. People, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. I mean, we all kind of been there, right? People ask, hey, you know what? I'm doing good. Or we know in the back of our mind things are happening where we're not feeling great. We're not feeling good. But then we have this need to put on a face because we don't want to seem like that Debbie Downer. By the way, if your name is Debbie, sorry, but I just think it came to my mind. But I say you know, but we just don't want to. We don't want to be that person, right? Yeah. We don't want to be that person that kind of bring everything down. But at the same time, understand that there are some serious things that are on our hearts that 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 are weighing on us. And so when we decide to show up, we are making a decision to honor God with our lives because we are in the midst of others and we are able to share and listen to each other's stories of where we are and even in that we see the hope of Christ because Christ lives in each and every one of us. That's right. I want to read an article from Christianity Day and we all know what's going on um, in, in, in the Ukraine and, and so we have brothers and sisters that are there uh, in, in the Ukraine. And so I thought this article was interesting. I picked that up from Christianity Today. And um, this was happening as recently as last week. So this is when the invasion was, was, was going on. Um, article reads something like this. It says, as Russian troops met stiffer resistance than expected from Ukrainian soldiers and citizens of Kiev and other cities, pastors in both nations adapted Sunday worship services appropriately. Rather than, a sermon rather than a sermon, time was given to share testimonies from the harrowing days of air raids. Many psalms were offered, and the message centered on Proverbs 29, 25, which is the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Amen. You know, I think about things that I've gone through these last few years, and you know one of the things that bring me hope is the fact that I'm able to have conversations with people, authentic conversations of people and where they're at and how they're struggling, how they're dealing with grief and loss, because even in their stories right there, the fact that they are here and that they're showing up shows that God is at active work in their lives and that Jesus is their hope, and that in and of itself gives me hope. So then what then does it look like for all of us with our exhaustion, our loss, our disappointments, still going through those right now? What does it look like for us to honor God, to offer up our palms, to offer up our cloaks, or just be there. What does it look like for us to be authentically present in the show? Hey, Ryan, pull up a, a, a stool here, if you don't mind. You know, as we as we talk about as we talk about this and the act of showing up and the fact that Jesus is our hope, you know, in the midst of our uh, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our disappointment, uh, just curious to hear from you. Uh, first and foremost, 
what does showing up look like for you uh, in, in your journey so far as a teaching pastor um, here at LBCO? Yeah. Uh, hello, hello. Check one, two. Um, I think that showing up in the last couple years has has been has has had a lot to do with with being honest with those who are closest with me about the things that are happening behind the scenes, the non-church stuff. Because the amount of things that I carry into every conversation is like, man, these people don't know how stressed I am about other things. Like, I don't think about church stuff all the time, right? Like, you don't? No. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to parent well. I'm trying to make bills paid on time. I'm trying to do all of these other things. And so I have had to to really make sure that I have those places where I can talk about that openly. Mm -hmm. And that's taken a lot of having to dig into like, why am I so protective with, with the things happening behind the scenes with these things where I might feel really insecure, like having a friend like you to be able to talk to of like, hey, we might want to talk about the teaching team and, and, and how all that works, but as a friend, I need you to see, like, that's the tip of the iceberg, right? Like, that's that's just what people see is how, how this plays out, but all underneath all of that, I'm like, I'm having to process through, like, talking with my therapist, talking with my wife, making time for myself and, and owning in myself the temptation to not show up, owning in myself the temptation to run away and how how many skilled ways I've found to explain to myself that that's okay. So, so trying to kind of, in my quiet times with myself, just asking like, am I actually taking myself on? Am I actually showing up? Because I do believe that in my own character development, that's the best thing that I could bring to a teaching pastor position is the development of my own character. But that's everything that happens behind the scenes. That's everything that happens outside of church. Right. And so I think having more places where I feel like I can just do normal life with people, having meals, playing with them, laughing with them, like that for me has been a major healing place in how I show up to this rather than just trying to talk about a bunch of church strategy and how do we problem solve this one thing when I know that it's 10,000 other things too. Right. Absolutely. So what, and I, what I get from that conversation is just the being being present. I think for you know myself, um, how this plays for myself in terms of, of, of showing up is uh, throughout the week, you know, being present in my time with God. Um, obviously, there's a whole bunch of things that at the beginning of the day, we think, okay, we've got to do this, we've got to get this, I've got to get this done, or, you know, this is this business deal's got to close, or, you know, I've got to talk to these people, and, and during our prayer session, we talked a lot about, about focus, and that's just been a real struggle of mine, just being able to focus, and so, you know, when I'm spending that time, you know, in the morning, you know, with God, like, I'm not there all the time, I just kind of do it as a check in the box. Um, so then for me, I've been challenged with, okay, what does that look like for me then to just be focused and just be present with, um, you know, during my time with God? 
Um, one more question I have for you before you go, because you brought up a good point in the last conversation that we have is, you know, we look to, as, as Christ follows, we look to Jesus uh, as him being our hope. Um, but a lot of times, um, this is something that came from you, from you, excuse me, um, that, that when we look to that as hope, like sometimes hope doesn't show up the way that we expect it. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that, your thoughts on that, if you might elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the how it's how it's processed for me is that in in my marriage a, a success would would be talking about the hard stuff less, right? Like I'm like I I don't want to deal with with tough things all the time, and I and I have had to come to a place where I understand that's from a way that I've protected myself is is that I avoid I try to find ways to not talk about things. But I, I think that um, that hope has has come in the ability for my capacity to hold darker places expanding, rather than just skipping on top of the water all the time. Which for me is a very easy out. It's a very easy way for me to equate that with hope. It's like, okay, we finally have hope. We don't need to talk about wars and COVID and broken relationships. We don't need to talk about it anymore. It's behind us. And the reality is if we constantly treat hope as if it's this place where we don't have stuff that we're carrying, then we're never actually touching the real thing. And so hope looking different for me has, I went up and like, how, how am I expanding and maturing and growing as a person that allows me to kind of stay in those deeper waters for maybe one more breath before I like have to pop back up and escape and, and kind of take a few more breaths. It, it's, it's, a, it's a hope that says I can be more present with my wife and her hard things. I can be more present with my kids through things that I don't understand. For me, that's hopeful, but it's not because we've moved away from engaging the hard things. It's an expansion within me to stay in those places. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I love that. It's funny. Um, because that's why I'm excited to have Catherine follow us up in a little bit. I mean, really, it's just helping us in how to be present. Yeah. Um, Jesus, obviously, we focus on him as our hope because we have to understand for us as Christ followers, um, we don't hope in circumstance. Um, you know, there's always like, okay, we always kind of say to each other, right? Like, ah, you know what, things, things will get better. You know, things will just kind of work itself out. But then there are some times when, in our minds, we have a finite amount of time where things will work out. But when they don't work out, we're kind of wondering, okay, what's going on? However, we just need to remember that hope, we don't hope in circumstance, we hope in Christ. That's right. That's right. And so, amen. It looks like you, you had one final thought. No, I was, okay. I was just saying amen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, let's give a round of applause for Steve. Uh, and um, I want to bring up Catherine Morrill now. And she is going to be taking us through um, in the same way that um, in this Lenten time, one of the temptations of Christ that we see this 40-day period where we sort of echo the temptations of Jesus in his own coming into his identity. The temptations were, how do we move out? How, do, how can I escape that? There was the temptation for the hunger to be solved with bread, the insecurity to be solved with testing God. All of these things 
we sort of purposefully enter in and we stay present and we move through. And I know that even the mention of the word grief, people are rolling their eyes at this conversation at this point. They're like, if I hear that one more time, I'm out of here. But the in talking with Steve and in talking with Catherine, I got a lot of hope in that as we learn to do it well, we realize that the pathway is not to just mire in it, to stay in it, but to move through it, to do it well so that we can be on the other side. And if there's anybody that I trust better to kind of talk through how to do it well, um, to provide us with some sort of insight into where you might find yourself, I mean, it would be Catherine. And so I want to hand the floor over to her so she can share her piece. Thank you. All right, I have new glasses since COVID, so I'm not sure how I'm gonna need to, if I'm gonna need them or not. <laughs> this is the first since uh, COVID, speaking in person to a group of people. Um, okay, yes, so my goal would be this morning to just set a context. Over the course of the next few weeks, you're gonna be hearing different therapists talk about the various stages of grief. But this morning, I kinda wanna set the table. And as Steve was talking about showing up, I was reminded of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, like three to four-ish paraphrased, is kind of along the lines of, praise be to God who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those Amen. in any trouble. We give comfort out of the comfort that we have received. Hmm. Now, we don't really get comfort unless we grieve right? Like, you kind of can't have one without the other. It falls on deaf ears. More on that later. So I want to set us a context that in our Christian tradition, we have like amazing resources and long-standing understanding of grief. Let's think about the Psalms of Lament, the Book of Job, the stories of exile, barrenness, longing, in the Jewish tradition, they practice sitting shiva when a person dies, seven days grieving and sitting with the family. The historic church has the practice of praying last rites. And we have Lent. Grief is a natural spiritual and emotional practice of Lent. And Jesus lives out the rhythm of grief in Holy Week and then in Easter. Grief is like little deaths, little things that are lost, little things that we feel ending. And that's the pattern of the crucifixion to resurrection. We feel it, the death and then the life that comes on the other side. Now our cultural tradition, on the other hand, often minimizes grief. Be strong, don't show weakness, don't cry, Sometimes we know that that infiltrates into the Christian community as well. This is a wonderful quote. Michelle Obama writes, grief and resilience live together. Mm. So actually strength and resilience are developed the more comfortable we get with grief. So our invitation is to get comfortable with our grief so that we can show up for others, so that we can be more whole people. Now, getting good at grief doesn't mean getting stuck in grief. Right. In fact, being stuck in grief means that we're struggling to move through it. 
the degree to which we're comfortable with sadness, loss, disappointment, and all the facets of grief is the degree to which we'll be able to show up well for others. When we are familiar and comfortable with those feelings, we can embody the tender compassion of Jesus. Amen. So question for you, what is your history with grief and loss and with comfort? None of us have made it through childhood without lots of experiences of grief. Hmm. Think of the three-year-old crying for a mama who doesn't want to be left in the children's church or um, hungry, tired, lonely, yeah. going to school, all the peer stuff. We all have stories of grief and loss. I think of when my parents took us out for a special dinner. I think I was five or six. And um, so we were all kind of dressed up out for dinner for a big announcement. And the big announcement was that we were moving out of California. I promptly burst into really loud tears and suddenly knew that that was the wrong response. <laughs> that this was celebration, but I was feeling grief. Mm. We all have stories of how grief was or wasn't welcomed and tended to throughout our histories, and we bring those into our daily life and our expectations for how we can process grief. I then had a subsequent series of losses as we moved. Um, and looking back um, in my young adult years, I actually could identify that since that move, I had struggled with a low level of depression. Just was with me from that age onward, I was stuck. I was stuck in a series of unresolved losses because mm. there wasn't room for grief mm. and comfort. Many of us didn't learn to grieve well. Mm. I am particularly passionate about helping people process grief because it's so related to anxiety, depression, PTSD, disordered eating, addictions, anger, the list goes on. So let's talk about some of our losses over the last couple of years. Okay, the big obvious one, right, would be death, death from COVID, long-term death sickness, not death sickness, COVID sickness. Um, I think of my friends who are teachers and the level of exhaustion that they live with. Those who work in healthcare, and the burnout, the PTSD. Academic losses, so many kids struggled online. Developmental milestones for little kids lost behind masks and in isolation. Businesses that shut down, Steve mentioned a number of them. Memorial services that didn't happen, so many. And then so many cascading losses that are or are not related, the racism, the um, polarization politically, the divisions. There was a New York Times article a year ago, March 2021, called It's Okay to Grieve for the Small Losses of a Lost Year. And the author was particularly talking about what she called 
what is called disenfranchised grief. And this is grief that isn't really recognized. There isn't like, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your mother. I'm so sorry for this. It's the hidden ones. It's the ones that we registered as loss, but it might be like embarrassing to say it. Like lost celebrations, canceled trips, delays in going to college, moving out, exploring a career path. So I would like to invite us to not compare our losses to anybody else's losses. This morning I was in the shower and I was thinking about loss and some of my losses. I was in a really lovely warm shower on a cold morning. And then I thought about the people this morning who don't have a warm shower around the world. And I thought, the invitation is to make room for both and. That one does not cancel out the other. So a few of my losses um, in the past couple years I thought I would share. Um, so I'm an introvert. There were things that I loved about the shutdown. <laughs> I mean, I've never been a stay-at-home mom, but I felt like I got to bake cookies and organize drawers and clean little spots in my house that never have I been able to really do that before. And it was like so delightful. I was, I actually grew plants that were a little bit above like survival level plants. Um, <laughs> like totally loving it. And at the same time, there were losses. Um, and one of the ways that I would find myself feeling the loss was that I would be saying to myself, okay, in every other disaster that I had anticipated, which I do, um, earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, whatever. Um, I, in my mind, I would always run towards people. And in the pandemic, it was the opposite. I actually had to isolate, right? It was like this urge. I mean, I would, in my mind, I, I planned my driving route out of my neighborhood to like Barb's house or <laughs> to pick up my mother and go somewhere. Like, right, wanting to, to hunker down with people. And this was like my nightmare. This was like, oh my gosh, I have to like withdraw into myself. Um, and it was painful. And who I thought would be my pod for various reasons, didn't end up really being my pod. That was hard. Um, I think some of you who are single can probably also perhaps really relate to that. Um, there was a unique grief, and then there was my anger at God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I've been investing in all these relationships, <laughs> and blah, 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 and this, um, and yes this. And at the bottom it was like, it's not supposed to be this way. I've been doing this, so I should be getting that. I'm angry, and it hurt. And then there were the losses of actual close friends. Not just like, oh, until the masks can come off, but the actual long-term losses that I still grieve frequently. And my goal in grief isn't to get over it. 
to work with it, to let it be present when it's present, to also learn how to shift from it when it's time to shift from it. So how do we process grief? All right. This is, I'm going to give you the three steps that are going to change your life. Just kidding. <laughs> um, over the next few weeks, we're going to go through, and you can put the slide up, the five stages of grief. I've been talking about them a little bit already in terms of my own grief. Um, the desire to minimize it, being angry, but God, I thought, the actual sadness, and then acceptance. Now, I realize um, if you'll look up stages of grief, we, there are 12 stages of grief, 7 stages of grief, 10 steps of grief, 4 tasks of grief. You know what? We're just hitting these because they cover such really helpful elements. This is not exhaustive. Um, this was Dr. Kugler-Ross. She was the first one in the 70s to do this, so we're grateful. Uh, one of the phrases Danny uses a lot that I really appreciate is pay attention pay attention. And learning to process grief has much to do with learning to pay attention. Pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. Pay attention to our emotions. So that we can grow in awareness and reflection. And I love the way Jesus does this. He weeps when Lazarus dies. And then he raises him from the dead. There is no like, well, if um, I don't really need to grieve because it's not going to be over. He just is fully present. And if that could be our goal, I think we would be all richer and better for it. So grief is not linear. You can put up the next slide. Stages of grief. And here, this is like 40 stages of grief, I think. <laughs> and then my experience, right? just bounces around. Some people actually do move through it or experience that as helpful, and then sometimes it's just like, oh, I don't know. It is what it is. So over these weeks, we're going to be processing it together, and I want to leave you with this question as we start this process. What are three things that you've been grieving these past couple years? What are three? And if I could encourage you over the course of Lent, would you share those with someone? Mm -hmm. Would you bring in another to experience being seen and witnessed to and experience the comfort of Jesus? Amen. So I'm going to invite Ryan up. Thank you. So yeah, we will provide a, um, an exercise or something tangible to do each week so that as we work through this, um, we can we can pair it with this with this process of um, paying attention during Lent. Uh, during our closing song, I want to invite you to come up and grab communion. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer team up uh, to be on the side as well. So come up, have communion, have prayer, and yeah, and then we will come up and close it at the end. Thanks so much. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.